Redefining narratives and shifting perspectives. This is Story Noir. Hello, and welcome to Chapter 8 of the Story Noir podcast. I'm your host, Opal, and I'm super excited to be here with you today. I am joined by Tia Faye, affectionately known as Tia, the Curl Consultant. I met Kia in the fall of 2022 at an event Ooh. in San Francisco. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Uh, when we were okay. in San Francisco um, at the um, personal, can- uh, personal Care and Beauty um, app launch. Forgive me for not remembering the name. But I remember the fascinating conversation that we struck up around being small business owners, our journey with our own sense of beauty, grief, and loss, and of course, hair care. And so we'll revisit some of those topics today and delve into how you became and who you are today. So without further ado, Kia, thank you so much for joining. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so like I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be really exciting. Um, Absolutely. It's been a long yeah, time. Like, <laughs> we've been in the yeah, deep it, for a minute. Well, we've been upside down. And yes. I remember even when we did meet at that, um, that Beautyocracy event, uh, gosh, in 2022, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. I remember us talking about the value of being able to actually engage directly with others and not just, you know, typing and texting. And so um, obviously we're not in the same room, but it's like we're in the internet same room. So I like it. We we it's share great. the space. We, we talk to the similar people like, you know, yeah. we're definitely on the same vibe. And so that is why I wanted to bring you on here. It is such an honor because again, I know you don't toot your own horn, but you, you got some stuff, Kia. You you do some really cool stuff in the world. I've been honored to be able to follow along that journey. And I definitely want to highlight that today, you know, to see how you became Kia the Curl Consultant. So, oh, thank you. Um, I am admittedly at 40 trying to learn how to better toot my own horn. It's okay. Um, I'm, it's not inherently, I'm not inherently a great tutor of it's horn. Okay. Um, but I have arrived at this place, I think, through just necessity and the universe leading me to where I was most needed um, and where I could make the biggest impact. And so um, a lot of my transition from working in the corporate space to um, owning a salon, to becoming an entrepreneur, to being a multidisciplinary creative, a lot of that was really spurred um, by never really feeling like I truly fit in, in an office space. Um, And again, the necessity of saying, hey, I need a service, who offers this service? And then realizing like, oh, hold up, baby. Ain't nobody really out here offering the service that you need. So um, it felt like a good opportunity for me to try and exercise an entrepreneurial muscle um, that just felt like it needed to get you needed to have a session, you know? Absolutely. You're, it's <laughs> the, the mindset of if this doesn't necessarily exist already, I'm going to be the one to go and create it. And that is exactly yes. what you have done, what you are doing, leading the trail. And I am so in awe and very excited to continue to see you along this journey. And so tell us about a little bit about you. Um, I know a little bit, but tell us about, you know, your upbringing and um, how you ended up at UC Berkeley. Wow, that's that's a cool question. Um, I 
was born in San Francisco, California. My parents lived along Lake Merritt. My dad passed when I was quite young and we ended up in Modesto, California. Um, for those unaware, it is a town just a couple of hours in from San Francisco inland, but um, things demographically are very different and culturally are very, very different in the Central Valley. Um, and to put it mildly, I stuck out like a sore thumb. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me or acted like me or was into the things like that I was into. And so I tended to feel um, very sort of siloed and like kind of like just such a weirdo. And, you know, through my, you know, going to school at Berkeley, then moving down to LA after that and working in film and television for a couple of years, I got to finally start to have a taste of the concept that I was not a singular entity, right? Like there are other people like me, I'm not this anomalous person. Um, and so, um, yeah, those those pieces of the story led me back up to Northern California. Um, I worked in the corporate space, I worked in tech, um, I worked um, as an executive assistant, I worked in marketing and branding, um, and finally, at the end of my career, was working in the nonprofit space. Um, and really, throughout all of those different elements of my progression to, to end up where I'm at, I feel like I was able to cherry pick out resonant information from those sort of different um, verticals. But I really found myself having to constantly modify the information that I was getting to suit me and to suit what I needed and to suit um, my truth. And so I thought, man, wouldn't it be incredible if I could have a work space where I wasn't always having to amend myself, modify myself, make myself a little bit different so that the others around me could feel more comfortable um, and also examining why they just inherently felt so uncomfortable around me when I looked like myself, my natural self, when I spoke the way that came naturally to me. Um, and so, yeah, I moved to the South Bay and kind of looked around and said, all right, I need, I need a, I had a, just done a big chop, actually. Um, and that's a whole other story. Um, but I had a new head of hair that I didn't really necessarily know what to do with as it was growing in. And I thought, okay, it's time to find a professional to work with. Um, but in my area, I went online and I found that there were not um, professionals who were showcasing textures that looked anything like my hair. Um, and my hair is not the tightest texture of curl. And so I thought, man, if nobody knows how to do my hair, Woo, what's going on out here in these streets? And I remember just distinctly mm -hmm. thinking, okay, okay, I know this can't just be me. Um, and so I went back to school at 30 and I let my professors know that first, I remember the first day they asked us what we wanted to do. I said, yo, I'm gonna be the natural texture person. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna help people embrace what grows out of their head. And my teacher, who had a texture naturally just like mine, looked at me and she said, there is not a need for that. You are going to flop in a year. 
if you just do natural texture? Hmm. And I said, oh, okay. Confidence. <laughs> hey, but I also had to say agree to disagree. And I'm grateful that I went um, to pursue this a little bit later in life because I had the frame of reference to know that sometimes your boss is wrong. Yeah, and I would say- and, Right, like sometimes yeah. the prevailing opinion- around you may not be right and I'm glad that I at least listened to that yeah and I'm curious because that pivot from being in a cushy corporate job because most people get into their corporate role and they retire like I'll deal with the workplace abuse and all of that because Mm -hmm. it's glory at the end of the road 70 and I can retire and so thinking walking away from something like that to pursue something on your own people are going to look at you like you're you're crazy and there's also (laughs) of being kind of the first of everything I'm I'm mm-hmm. and assume safely that it's like you know I'm the first to graduate from college I'm the mm-hmm. first to go kind of meet these milestones that a lot mm-hmm. of people from x demographic or from this you know childhood like have not so you're kind of seen as a messiah in a sense you know humbly so because I know that both of us are like you know but we're we're pretty great people so it's like why would you leave something that is <laughs> and so, humble yeah and humble. And humble too. <laughs> oh like you said tooting horns girl I, I got the whole orchestra to toot the horn for you. And so it's like, we're seen <laughs> as, you. hey, why would you go mm-hmm. and F this up when the rest of the village yes. is calling on you? And so yes. and we think that, you know, yes. hair care is so different than corporate world. But as you mm-hmm. had said earlier, there are some intersections there. You talk about the, the benefits of being an executive assistant with making sure things are scheduled on time mm-hmm. and really leveraging those transferable skills so it's not yeah. such a far jump from what you've been classically trained to do career-wise, you know, correct a place of trauma, but still correct. That's what works. And so talk to me a little bit about some of those transferable skills that you've taken into your entrepreneurship journey that you might not have gotten had you not gone through that corporate tour of duty. Absolutely. The transferable skills that I picked up in the first 15 years, I, I tell everybody who will listen, that's why I've been able to be relatively sustainable, right? The only reason that I'm still doing this at, you know, a decade is because I had prior knowledge of the inner workings of um, administrative logistics, vendor management, fundraising, um, all of these different um, tiers and pillars of a business that aren't glamorous per se, right? Um, and it's it's funny that you mentioned, you know, like the obligation or the impression of an obligation that we feel around like leaving a cushy job and leaving like the comfort of that because I found myself 15 years in and I was not cushy, right? I was doing things that many of my colleagues were, you know, they were doing a fraction of the work that I was doing and they were very cushy. Yeah, yeah. Christmas card. And I was... It- but you know right right right. and I was like okay so if I've been hacking away at this for 15 years and I know I'm an exemplary employee and yet I see no benefit to being an exemplary employee right like if I do everything right I still am not going to get paid um fairly I still am not going to get the bonus that I deserve right and so I think for me it was almost easier to leave that because it was like, I'm not being taken care of in the corporate space. I didn't have, 
I worked in technology. I didn't get a tech paycheck, right? So I didn't, I didn't get the, the cushy elements to keep me complacent. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> Is the reality of that. Um, and so I think it was a little bit easier for me to see it for what it was. And it was, okay, Kia, this was a way to develop tools and systems and um, gain perspective around business. This was like a 15 year business boot camp that you did not know that you was in yeah. and that you didn't necessarily want to be in. Yeah. And and again, there's there's beauty in the chaos that I find because again, it, yes. it was helpful, you know, albeit traumatic, but it was helpful. Yes. Because it made us into who we are today, yes. notwithstanding the scars yes. and whatnot. I confidently say, and, and I'll see if you agree, like I wouldn't have thrown that experience away. I, ha- I had to do it in order to get to where I am today. Oh, yeah. And it's definitely a competitive advantage, you know, at the end of it. Well, and, you know, um, there's something to be said for the competitive advantage of everybody assuming that you don't know what you're talking about and everybody being so surprised that you have these astute observations and Basic you can stuff. drop these. Yeah, like, like, like are, why are and you, you so going? I, I am a subject matter expert, though, bruh. Like, why are you that surprised? Like, you know, are you really though? And then when you give basic information, they're like, yes. And I'm like, oh, this this was Googleable, but like at the same time, right, is it but then you're that low. Yes, yes. Uh, a friend and I were speaking last night about how, like, they were like, "I've had a, I've had so many managers who did not do anything and did not know how to do anything, and that was okay." Um, and as a result of that, you learn how to pick up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, necessary skills to keep the ship going. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, you know, plan on obtaining all of those skills over the years. And I didn't even realize at the time that I was absorbing them, right? That I was kind of sponging up all of these different um, skill sets. And right, we do it 10 times better, just naturally. (laughs) We do. We do. We do it. What's the quote about like, you know, Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did, but backwards and in heels. You know, it's that kind of feeling. Um, And I think that as somebody who um, there's things about technology that I really, really love. Mm -hmm. Um, There are, of course, things that are not great. There's that's a duality. But um, I think that we're in a unique place where I'm able to leverage the skills that I got working in the corporate space and then use all of these cool updated tools to that have, you know, kind of democratized these different spaces, whether it be finance or design, right? So that I can have as a business owner, a little bit more control over those things and understanding around them. Yeah. um, Which is really helpful. And I also, you know, I'm always like encouraging my colleagues, especially like people who are newer to the space um, to to try and get a a handle around those things. One intersection that I want to highlight um, between hair care and tech is the platform Teachable and the fact that you have courses on there. Courses such as decoding hair and visual media, mindful curl cutting for tight curls, microaggressions, and so forth. And so that is a concrete example of putting your, your offerings online. And so what has teaching kind of been like? You know, I love teaching and I'm excited right now because I'm about to head into uh, a period of sort of returning 
mm-hmm. back to teaching, but again, um, doing it in a way that feels safe for me, safe for my model, and safe for the people in attendance. And that part is going to be new to me, right, is teaching in an in a way that emphasizes equity. Um, and I say that because I had previously, you know, usually had the opportunity to teach in conjunction with larger salons. And it's that sort of monster of, yeah, if you agree to work with folks, you may get a bigger platform, but that's usually in exchange for ignoring or not understanding the scope of what that salon participates in or how they may have harmed people. And so um, I'm really excited that I'm now in a place where I can um, not only do the virtual education, but also return to some in-person teaching um, in a really intimate format so that everybody can really um, hopefully benefit from the experience. That's beautiful. And so briefly take us through the experience as a client of yours. Um, I know on your site, you're very open about the fact that one initial consultation could be two and a half to three hours. And so that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of research. And so why provide such a high touch experience? I feel that in order for folks to freely absorb um, the concepts that are put forth um, in our interaction, we got to have a chunk of time. Like That's the reality of it, right? Um, Sure, I could be knocking out haircuts, but I'm not here for volume. Mm -hmm. I'm here for quality over quantity. And that is counter to what we are taught to do in this industry when we go to school. Um, That is, unless you are doing, you know, things like extensions or color work where it's like, sure, it's okay to take one client and work for 12 hours, but you need to be like, oftentimes doing grueling work that is in some cases quite damaging to your health or to the health of your client. Um, And so that just was not, that was not going to work for me. (laughs) Like I got to find that balance. I got to make sure I can it. Right. And so for a new client, um, you know, they come to me through different methods of search or through um, word of mouth is also also really common. But hopefully the first place that somebody gets directed to is my either Instagram or to my website, Um, you know, and on the curlconsultant.com, I've done my best to be as upfront as I can about what it is that I offer. So I try to explain my services uh, to folks and then they can select a time that works for them through my online booking system um, that aligns with my personal schedule. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way that I do that is I release dates um, once a month in the middle of the month Mm -hmm. for the coming month. And that allows me some flexibility Um, to take on projects and to, you know, plan cool things in advance and not be booked out three or six months in advance. And it also allows my clients to be proactive about when they want to get their hair cut. Because the reality is everybody different. Everybody is different. (laughs) Some folks that I work with um, have a haircut or have lifestyle choices that dictate that they need to get their haircut once every two months or three months. Others are every five months or six months or eight months, right? And so 
that's the system that I found that um, has allowed both parties to have hopefully the most ideal experience. So uh, folks, like I said, they select their date and then they do a quick intake form where they actually give me a little bit of information yeah. about their hair and also upload a couple photos of their hair. So this, this um, is utilizing technology of like, you got to upload, you got to, you know, get in to, in order to get in. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And I understand that for some folks, I have, you know, had feedback that it was too many steps or was too complex. Um, and to that, my reply is, you know, if, if somebody is not able to use the technology component, we can schedule that, you know, sort of individually, but they cannot bypass providing me with visuals of their hair in advance of arriving in the salon. And the reason for that is because I've been doing this a long time. Yeah. And people often send in what I'm going to call aspirational imagery um, <laughs> of, of their hair. Um, and when I say that, I mean that people will send in, hey, this is what I'd like my hair to look like, or hey, this is what my hair looked like 15 years ago when I really liked it, or hey, here's a picture of me wearing a wig of what I want my hair to look like. And while I appreciate where that's coming from, in order to really help folks, I need to know what we're looking at, the reality of what we're looking at. And if I can know that before they show up, then I can really tailor that appointment um, and that three hours that we have to cut their hair, cleanse their hair. But that's secondary, right? Because so much of this is the education around how to maintain that, right? But before we even get to the hair component, we're usually talking for about a half an hour yeah. just about how they've arrived here. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of trauma that people have to unlearn when going into the salon space. I can imagine that some people may have come to you, you know, 15, 20 years removed from the space because of, you know, traumatic incidents yeah. of dealing yeah, absolutely. with people who have jacked up their hair, the most, you know, one of the most important absolutely. parts of somebody's, you know, appearance. And so I think it's yeah. really important to kind of arrive meeting them where they're at. And I think the way that you do it is super great, very thorough. Me personally, you know, being a girly, I'm like, okay, this is quality stuff. So I'm going to put in the, the effort in order to make sure these steps are taken. Um, but I'm sure also you've seen discourse online, you know, particularly in, in the Black community of like, oh, I won't <laughs> accept your hair unless it's bone straight. Yeah. And already braided, you know, I'm going to be the one yes. braiding it. And <laughs> yeah. dollars extra if you have this, you know, texture yeah. and, you know, just that, that's like kind of the yeah. turnoff point of it. And so I think yeah. you put of what a good example of how to kind of do an intake form versus, you know, people on like style seat and booksy, like, you know, do not come to me if, if we don't want that, you know, like right. hair here, which can be very right. So right. And I I know, you know, intimately that feeling of walking into a salon and you see the person who has been assigned to do your hair just kind of like you see them like, uh when you walk in the door. That's a horrific feeling. And that's super um that's just I mean, it's something that I cover in actually in microaggressions and salon culture, my um course that you were talking about on Teachable, but that's that's a terrible feeling. And so I never want anybody to feel uncomfortable about the texture of their hair or 
the state of their hair. That being said, again, we do have to be transparent about where we're at, right? Yes. yes. So I have had to explain to people that there are things that need to take place before their appointment if their hair is in a certain state. For example, um, you know, sometimes you, when early in my career, I would have people that would not be able to attend to their hair for six months, a year, two years, and then say, hey, I want you to do the service and not understand that they needed six to 10 hours of work in advance of the service. And that the service, um, you know, there's only so much that one can do given a set amount of time. Mm -hmm. And it's not a judgment on that hair. It's saying, hey, if I have you at nine and I have somebody else at 12, what can we accomplish with the time that we have? <laughs> that makes sense. And that's a good, right? that level of discernment is the important part, like the context wise. It's not right. discrimination against like, oh, well, that texture right. isn't really one that I deal with. So take it down to, you know, wherever you are. <laughs> right. It's saying, hey, please be transparent with me so that if you have hair that we know may need more time than the allotted time, let's book that. Absolutely. And let's account for that so that you are feeling seen and respected in the space and you're feeling like what you are paying for is for a reason, mm -hmm. right? And you understand why you are paying for what you're paying for. Exactly. Right. I because, always... you know, so we are so consistently devalued in, in, in so many ways. And I think that really extends to, unfortunately, that sort of learned devaluing of black people extends to black stylists. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's oftentimes a pushback mm -hmm. as to our rates or what we are asking for. Yeah. Um, when oftentimes there is not parallel pushback for white artists. It's, that are asking for oftentimes much more than we are asking for. Absolutely. Stuff that we can't even imagine. We're basically, we're asking Correct. for the basic stuff, but then it's like, oh, you, you're asking for the world. And you're like, no, I just want this Correct. thing. And so. Correct. Yeah. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, if, if I've had some opportunities where people kind of press it and mm -hmm. I, I hope that I can explain to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and in a logical way, right. This is why this is the way it is. And they might be frustrated but I think they always understand like, oh, dang, well, you yeah. right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm doing my research. Like this is for the betterment of you so I can meet yeah. your needs opposed to, again, I don't necessarily do like from that negative standpoint that we know, you yes. know, all too well. well. It's, it's, it's framing. Yeah. Um, it's framing of the conversation. It's framing mm -hmm. of the discussion. It's framing everything. It's, it's not a problem. This is yeah. just something that we have to discuss. It's true. Just that open transparency. And so- yeah. For, so in this conversation, let's talk a little bit about semantics. So I'm coming here because <laughs> yes, semant semantics are really important with, you know, a lot of they are. <laughs> and things and, you know, oftentimes mm -hmm. like oh, all these made up new words. It's like, no, we now just have yeah. the language for these things. These things have existed in the past. Yeah. We just have something Ooh. to call it. So that's that's the pushback mm -hmm. that I always give. But I'm coming to you. I work with my hair care professional. She's referred to as a loctician. And so a loctician yes. is different than that of a curl consultant. And so for yeah. kind of folks who are, aren't familiar, um, what is the difference between the two? 
Yeah, that's a, I love talking about the distinction in sort of areas of expertise, because the reality is that when folks go to cosmetology school, mm -hmm. they, for the most part, in, in, unless you're in some sort of unicorn school, mm -hmm. you're not coming out of school um, having a deep understanding of different practices, whether that be barbary, um, aesthetics work, um, working with locks, working with wigs and hair pieces for, you know, film and TV, things like this, right? These are all different areas of study that we have to pursue after school for the most part. So this is all like continued education that folks invest yeah. in. And so folks could, you know, a, a hairdresser could be both a loctician and a curl specialist. Right. And I know some that are and they're remarkable. Right. But you, we cannot assume that folks have um, that sort of idea. of Oh, it's natural hair. Anyone and can that's a blanket term. Right. And I am sure you've encountered that to some degree in some spaces. And it's something that I get actually. And I hear a lot of my clients will say that, right? Like when they come into the salon, they'll say, hey, I went to a quote unquote natural hair salon. And I said, can you give me a curl cut? And can you send me out in a wash and go? And all of these natural hair salons say, no, we cannot do that. Mm. And so like, huh, okay. But like, I'm still paying and. Right. <laughs> so there's also the conversation around what constitutes a natural hair salon what constitutes uh, diverse, quote unquote, clientele. Um, doing braids and wigs and weaves is a completely different skill set mm -hmm. than working with natural texture. Yeah. And we cannot assume that just because somebody knows how to do a twist out, they know how to cut curls in natural fall, right? So um, it's really important that folks are doing some due diligence on their own part to make sure that the person touching their head got example right it's and true. a portfolio that is representative of like oh this looks like what i am aiming for mm -hmm. this person has proven examples mm -hmm. and can can talk to me open and transparently about what this process would would look like in order for me to achieve my goals or if my goals are even actually achievable in this context because the reality is many people arrive at the salon and their example of what they're going for is a completely different head of hair than they naturally have. Yeah. Um, yeah. More often than not, right? More frequently than people are saying, hey, I just want my own hair, but I want it in this style. People are oftentimes saying, I want this other texture. <laughs> no, I- And here's the haircut that I want. And you go like, okay, well, we could give you this haircut, but you ain't gonna have this texture. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, no, that that's really important. And, and that distinction, it's like sometimes you show a photo and like, oh, maybe that's a wig, though. Like, yeah. oh, like she has hair. I, it, ooh, I taught a class once for a large salon mm -hmm. and they had sourced the models for me. Mm -hmm. uh, the day of I arrived, they showed me photos of my model and they said we picked um, them because they're so beautiful and look at their hair. And I said, they are stunning. And that is a wig. So we don't know what they're going to show up with. And they came through with this absolutely beautiful, tightly coiled 
Afro Mm -hmm. and the salon owners were just dumbstruck. They had no idea that that is what this person's natural hair is. And I said, oh yeah, no, if you zoom in on their Instagram, look at their hairline. I can tell you what their hair looks like under the hair piece because I went back, right? Yeah. And so that's actually one of the main genesis uh, reasons why I um, touched on that in decoding hair and visual media, right? It's really intended to help not only stylists, but also consumers unpack the reality that what we are presented with in, you know, sort of physical, digital, and print media is oftentimes very modified. (laughs) That's been highly modified. It's true. true. You're you're, you're definitely preaching to the choir because I'm like, right. And so it's not only, we're not only operating in a scenario where we have digital manipulation, where people are able to go in and amend things, but also we have the physical manipulation of, I can add in some clip-ins and tell you, oh, my hair just grows out of my head like this. And then the ramification of that is oftentimes that, you know, the receiver of that information goes, oh man, feel like my hair is really thin and that person said their hair just grows like that and so what is wrong with me yeah that my hair is so thin and I, I can't get my hair to do that and so you know it's really having that conversation with folks to let them know like yo that person that told you that is not being forthcoming about the reality of their hair and um there's that's big business to be not forthcoming mm-hmm. about the reality and I definitely want to unpack that um, a little bit down the line too. Um, one thing it's I want big. to oh yeah, <laughs> big girl. The canakalon look good, but you know it's the canakalon is cinnamon, right? Like, <laughs> and so one thing I really want to touch on, uh, maybe a little more of a serious element, is texturism and colorism with and yes. the hair industry and. Yes. When it comes to the conversation around curls, we'll talk about, you know, the typing system in just a minute. But when it comes, you know, when when I, as, you know, a person with very tightly coiled hair, hear the term curls, I immediately kind of retreat because I'm like, oh, I know that that is not necessarily for me. And so right. when walking down the aisles, you see all, you're inundated with all these products and whatnot. And you're kind of like, mm, I know what works for me. But like the curl, the curl girls versus the kinky girls, yeah. versus, like, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff to unpack within that space. And so as someone who is a thought leader and in the space, and as you had said, you have tight curls, but maybe not the tightest, but also not the loosest. How do you kind of navigate that? Right. I think that there is such a culture of, um, it's like almost, uh, it's either avoidance of the subject altogether, right? Or it Unfortunately, we find that these conversations um, oftentimes can be driven by like pretty toxic corners of the internet, right? Um, And so, yeah, like you said, as somebody who, I don't have the tightest curls I have in, you know, thinking about the scope of my clients, my curls sort of fall somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, But the bulk of my clientele has very tightly coiled hair. And um, so, through my own understanding of my own experience, coupled with the 
really the honor that I have to listen to people's stories mm -hmm. um, and to gain insight around their experiences and what they feel comfortable sharing with me. You know, that really allows me to have, I think, um, a pretty comprehensive aerial view, at least through my own lens, of how deeply damaging um, colorism and texturism are and how pervasive they are and how insidious yeah. the pervasiveness is because yeah. it's one thing, um, you know, if I have a lot of clients who have actually recently moved from the Midwest and the South and they will oftentimes point out how California racism is different oh, because yeah. it's so much more insidious, yeah. right? And it's that sort of idea that like, oh man, we don't realize how deeply baked yeah. into <laughs> all of these elements of marketing, advertising, and branding, um, you know, how they, there's a great return on, um, how do I say it, on playing into fears and stereotypes and avoiding um critical education that is already really in the community, yeah. right? Um, but that would frankly benefit us. Um, but the goal isn't to benefit us. Yeah, of course it's to make money, but. <laughs> it's to make money. And, you know, something that I've, a conversation that I've had actually in sort of a number of boardroom spaces that I have found apparently makes people pretty uncomfortable is <laughs> when I point out that if this is just, a question of ROI. Mm -hmm. If this is just return on investment, if we are just trying to make the most money that we can for this corporation, it would make more sense to sell products that worked well for Black people. Huh? huh. What a what a so, so if we're gonna if we're going to have the conversation around what's most profitable, we need to look at the reality of the numbers around what is profitable. And the reality is that we spend more per capita um, on the beauty space. And so if companies really, truly wanted to just make money, not even to like do this from an ethical standpoint, saying that we should offer products for everybody, even yeah. if they just wanted to make money, they would make more money. Absolutely. If they offered us things that we could purchase. But I truly believe that the reality is that they do not want us in our in their spaces. They don't. They don't. <laughs> right. They lock up our and costs. So, That's why. Right. Right. And so it's having that conversation in these boardroom spaces and having people look me in the eye and going, "Oh yeah, absolutely. We know we could make more money." Mm -hmm. It's and <laughs> so ooh, I had to really pivot the work that I was doing. Um, because I thought, oh, I just need to explain the value proposition to folks and they will, they'll go, oh, well, duh, let's mm -hmm. start carrying some products. But once I got into those spaces, I realized, oh, hold up. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't, they don't want it. They don't want the the good word. So, <laughs> so I would rather take my, the resource of my time and energy and spend it in a different way. Absolutely. And and again, you talk about the fact that you're a subject matter expert in this space. You're literally in boardrooms with people who are making these decisions. And so if you are there they're making big decisions, they ain't and they don't know what they do. They, they don't know, baby, what is you doing? 
And so um, I want to dial it back. I want to definitely stay on the subject of the capitalism part of it, but to talk a little bit more about semantics, because we talked about curls, we talked Mm -hmm. about locks. And so terms that are typically used for black hair, um, from my understanding, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, are curly, which does indicate one thing, but it still can be applied to to black hair. Um, Also, tightly coiled is another term that I've heard for hair. Um, textured hair as well, which I'm like, okay, that sounds a little bit more in my domain. And then of course, kinky hair, um, which is, you know, anything that isn't necessarily straight. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call you the kink consultant. That might mess up your Google SEO a little bit. (laughs) My, my, I am in the Bay Area, though. Exactly. So that might be very good. That might, that might. <laughs> but I think, you know, curl consultant is a good way to kind of encapsulate it um, and opens that conversation for that. Um, and so I think it's all encompassing, but let it be known that there are so many different terms and semantics for yes. the kinds of hair. Yes. And I learned very early on that. Um, Listen, I studied English at Berkeley. Give me a semantic argument all day. But I was not going to make everybody happy, Mm -hmm. regardless of the terms that I was using. Mm -hmm. So I know that there is actually a very significant amount of pushback, even around the concept of textured hair, saying Mm -hmm. all hair has texture. Mm -hmm. It is a straight texture, you know, like, or as a um, really breaking open the, the concept of texture, right? What is the surface texture of a hair versus what is the 3D texture of a hair, right? So I try to use the most like physically descriptive terms that I can where people will say, um, you know, what do you, what do you, I had my shears sharpened earlier this morning and he was asking me, so do you just work with black hair? And I said, I work with hair that isn't straight. Hmm. That part. And for him, as a man who professionally sharpens haircutting shears, he went, oh, well, that, yeah, no, that totally tracks. And he could tell from the metal on my shears the type of hair that I was cutting. And he was actually excited to have a conversation as a white business owner um, with me about the way that working with natural texture, working with tightly coiled hair, working with zigzag textured hair, where the cuticle is a different shape, where the just the physical logistical structure of the hair is different, how that plays out on the cutting implements that we use, because he always felt uncomfortable asking people because he didn't want to overstep. But he could tell that I was stoked to talk about like, oh, well, you're seeing this because this is the hair that I work with. Yeah. Right. And as somebody who just loves to sort of know the technological whys and wherefores, the the underpinnings Uh of why I'm doing what I'm doing. um, I think that that was a cool like moment where things resonated because even though we use different vernaculars and I could tell that he was at times uncomfortable Mm-hmm. Um, and not sure what to say in terms of how to describe mm-hmm. my clientele or the work that I did. Mm-hmm. We were able to find some really beautiful commonality where it was like, oh no, let's use a language that we can both understand. Yeah. And we right? can we can talk about, we, if you say the, maybe the wrong thing, it's like, we can yeah. talk about why that is. Cause I know yes. where you're coming from. Yes. You, the term, you know, black hair, it might be okay, textured hair, but like yeah. I see what you meant by that. And that's right. I, why semantics are so important correct in safe space of course when you're not correct 
but like right and I try to um make the space as open for that conversation as well because it's not just you know sometimes you'll get a new visitor to the salon space who will say something about their hair that like go oh oh like we don't we don't talk about her like this in here but I also like I'm old enough to be able to say thank you so much for sharing that with me I receive it I'm gonna gonna tell you in this space we don't speak negatively about our hair and so I want you to have the permission to not speak negatively about yourself going forward, or at least in this space, right? Wow. So it's just opening up that idea to folks that like, yeah, I get that, you know, we're, we're the sense memory that you have when you go into a salon may be very negative. That trauma of like, oh, <laughs> here we go. You know, the right? meme like, oh, shit, here we go. It's like, no. You know, I, yeah. I remember growing up being the the literal hairstylist complaining like, oh, you have the thickest hair. Your hair, you have such a full head of hair, and it's so long. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, isn't that a good thing though? Just like it takes forever to for me to get through it. And it's like, yeah, it takes patience in order to maintain the hair yeah. that grows out of my hair naturally. Like, <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I'm gonna have hair, you know, until I'm a hundred because my hair is so full. So like, isn't that a thing of advantage? And then, you know, I, I used to feel bad because the girls with the looser textures would be sitting next to me in their chair, mm -hmm. you know, reading a magazine and it's right. all good and being right. praised about how pretty, yes. quote unquote, their hair is. And we know what yes. their hair indicates. Yes. And yes. so that trauma, I can kind of see why folks might come in and be like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to agree with you because, you know, this hair care, you know, authority is probably just going to say that, you know, yeah, agreed that my hair is like the worst of the worst and throw a perm in it. And it's like yeah and it's it's terrible that I hear versions of that story so frequently like I yeah. really wish it wasn't <laughs> yeah. so often and you know I also have to be very conscientious about not assuming people's prior yes. experience because on occasion I do get folks that say like oh I was encouraged to have this hair mm -hmm. I love my hair I had a great stylist and I moved to the area and I need a new one. So I'm not, um, it, it's, it's, oh, I try to think about the totality of their experience, but also having that little glimpse into, you know, asking them in that intake form, what was your last haircut? When yeah. was it? Yeah. It's a very targeted question. Yeah. Cause if their last haircut was three months ago, okay. You're, you're they might be getting haircuts relatively frequently. But yeah. if it's, I, I, you know, 1997, yeah. that tells me so much. And for them, they're going, oh, that's a quick question. No problem. I can answer that. But for me, that front loads mm -hmm. so much about where our conversation is going to go and the assumptions that they might have around their hair and what has um, prompted them to avoid this yeah. for so long. Yeah. Right. So, so <laughs> like, what, why, why are you running? It's like, why, what, what had really happened though? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the reality is that oftentimes there is like, you know, sometimes there's like a precipitating event mm -hmm. that was like something was so bad that I just had to take a break. Sometimes it's that sort of death by a thousand paper cuts. Yes. Yeah. Where they go. I, it was just so bad for so long and I finally gave up. Yeah. Right. But I oftentimes will get the the question, you know, like, 
where were, where were people going before they came to you? Mm-hmm. And realistically, many of them were just doing their own hair. They weren't going mm-hmm. somewhere. I'm not, um, I'm not swooping on clients that belong to somebody else. I'm capturing clients that nobody was attending to. Yeah. The people, the lost children, essentially. The, 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 the lost, the lost boys and girls. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Or, you know, one from from my generation, um, I remember between the years of like 2012 and like 2016, respectively, was YouTube heaven. The the, the era of I was I probably watched every single product haul on YouTube and all video. My bottom drawer of my bathroom was like every payday. I was like, I need to go to Target right when the door's open because, you know love curls 1999 on youtube told me to go get this or this new gel or you know yeah. i remember burning my ha- hair trying or burning my hand trying to make flax gel you know through the stuff like i i was definitely dedicated <sighs> to the cause yes youtube university when it came to tending to my natural hair and so that like that that was an era for sure. It was, it was the moment. (laughs) Honey, she was the moment. She is, this is her. Ooh, and you know, there's videos of me on the YouTube Uh from that time, Uh um, doing uh, wash and go, doing hair color, talking about product. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kept them all up there because, uh, you know, for the most part, I feel like I'm still preaching yeah, the same underlying concepts and that over the course of time, as technology has improved, as our access to care mm-hmm. has improved and our ability to obtain better products mm-hmm. has, you know, yes. become more available, right? I think that I've just applied those basic underpinnings to... Like, you know, I, I'm still saying the same thing mm-hmm. when I came out of school yeah. in 2013 or 2014, right? I was still peak saying. YouTube. Yeah, peak peak era. Peak YouTube era. Um, and something that was really sort of a revelation, I think, for me was coming out of school and thinking like, oh, if I can just work with X influencer or X brand, then I will have made it. And um, I'm very lucky that early on in my career, I got the opportunity to work with some of those influencers and some of those brands and some of those sort of aspirational, quote unquote, figures. Mm-hmm. And I got to learn that they were just people and that their hair was just hair and that they had the exact same concerns mm-hmm. as your average bear, right? And oftentimes that, people that were working in the sort of media space around hair were feeling this obligation to not be completely truthful about their experiences because their um, their financial stability was reliant yeah. on what they were saying about how these products perform. And so I learned to take things with a big ass grain of salt very early, <laughs> you know, like, ooh. <laughs> Um, you know, going on set and meeting natural hair influencers whose hair I was being paid to style for 
you know, huge campaigns and getting there and realizing that these natural hair influencers didn't have natural hair mm. and that they were wearing clip-ins and wigs and units and that it was just a business mm -hmm. and that they had no problem um, selling products that they knew did not work. Yeah. And that was like, oh gosh, I, I thought I would never do that. But then I had to remember like, Kia, this is, this is business. This is just like when you worked in an office, there are tons of things that you wouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. Other people have no problem doing, right? And so I had to say, okay, I'm just going to take myself as much as I can out of those environments. And maybe it won't be as um, quote unquote glamorous. Mm-hmm or I won't be posting as frequently and it won't look like the things that I'm doing are as quote unquote cool, but it may afford me the opportunity to um, do other work that, you know, maybe you don't publicize, but that has a really important reach. Absolutely. It's all about that reach. Of course, yeah. as you know, having worked in marketing, it's all about marketing and who can get that shelf space. And so mm -hmm. if you remember when, even when you graduated in 2013 from um, beauty school, um, nowadays we're facing an interesting problem. We went from the basic YouTube haul of seeing like the yeah. Cantus, the Shea Moistures, Weed oh, yeah. Dog, Diva Curl. We, we all know like those typical ones, but now in 2023, everybody and their literal mama <laughs> you know, yeah. like, now have celebrity hair care lines. And it's like, baby, you you don't know anything about this. This isn't necessarily your domain. And so now you're faced with the issue of like a billion different products on the shelf. Some that you know of your favorite actresses and, you yes. know, influencers. Again, notice I'm not mm -hmm. saying hair care professionals. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, where do I start? You know, I know that there's a high possibility of me having my favorite conditioner, you know, today. And then six mm -hmm. months later, when I go back to buy it again, it's going to have a different um, ingredient in it and now my hair is falling out like yes. I trusted them because you know mm -hmm. Sally Mae from you know this place told me to get it and yeah. now I feel like I'm SOL so yeah. what have you seen how do you kind of combat that and I'm gonna actually give an example um, after you answer yeah. of this happening in real time I love that question um, and when folks come in or if they're sharing with me about what they like to use and what they're trying and what's sort of in that cabinet or what's in their rotation. And they say, hey, I'm using X product line by the following celebrity. I always say, okay, word, how are you liking that? Right? With a smile on my face. Full well knowing the answer wow. is 99% of the time going to be. Calling out a little Ooh. bit, but, but you know, she said to get it though. And she told me to get the 10 step line. Right. And it's always this um, sort of head tilt and a kind of like a, I don't actually like it. Is it, is it okay to tell you that, that I don't actually like it? Um, and when people are willing to have that conversation, I let them know that, you know, this is a, this is a whole um, sort of massive discussion that we could have around it, but I think it can be boiled down to the concept that celebrities are not hair professionals. Um, and so even if they are well-intentioned um, and sometimes you will see them get the cosine of 
a quote unquote celebrity hairstylist or their personal hairstylist. Um, and, you know, you'll see that sort of pairing. That's kind of a thing that I've noticed is, is happening because again, there is oftentimes pushback about like, oh, girl, you don't know hair, stay on the screen or keep on dancing or whatever. And then it's like, okay, so now I have one stylist who's willing to say, this is great. So my, my response to that is always, okay, cool. So let's talk about the research and development of this product. And did you send it out to stylists working in the field? Was it tested before it was released? Or is this just a cash grab and a way to, you know, kind of capitalize on a star's aesthetic and following? And um, that's also a huge and, thing. And texture that is oftentimes manipulated. And so, you know, as somebody who's had the opportunity to work with people on camera, you're never just seeing somebody's hair, <laughs> right? Like if, if I've done my job, if you don't know that my client has hair pieces in, yeah. right? That they are blended beautifully and that they are their texture or that, you know, I just, um, yeah, there's just so much room for improvement when it comes to everybody and their mama having a line. And we're in a day and age where you or I could spend just one day and have a white label line of our own. Yeah. Right. And when I say white label, I mean, we could just go to a chemist or a pharmaceutical sort of, um, you know, a, a place that does production of products. And we could say, what do you have on your shelf? Cool. I want to make it smell like lemon and verbena. Uh -huh. And I want to put a picture of my brand on it. Here's my marketing. Right. And, and so there's. And a check. And that's what the bulk of products on the market are. Um, and so they are not being developed with us in mind. They're just things that are already prior existing formulations um, that are, are, you know, centered around cost efficacy um, and using usually low quality ingredients. And so if you brand that in a beautiful way, people will buy it and assume, oh, look at this black celebrity who is telling me I love this stuff and I use it. Um, I'm going to invest in it too. And unfortunately the, the chain reaction there is that people will spend their hard earned money on an eight step system from a celebrity and then they don't have any money to go get a haircut. And then they're saying, well, I invested black. I bought this black hair care line. Mm -hmm. I spent my money yeah. in the community. At Target. But at Target. <laughs> I gave my, right? Where they're like, listen, girl, I gave my money to a billionaire and it didn't work. And I'm like, I'm very sorry to hear that for you, but that was avoidable. And let me tell you how we can avoid that next time. Yeah. Right? Um, and so while that's not to say that there's not, I think actually an incredible opportunity for, um, you know, people that are in sort of a media space to actually develop in conjunction with the community products and to invest in that, to there finance that. Um, I think that that actually would be a much more impactful way to engage with the community, right? Imagine if our celebrities were sponsoring uh, salons in communities. What if they were offering grants 
to hairstylists to provide education around best practices and healthcare mm-hmm. um, instead of what we oftentimes just see, which is sort of passion projects on the part of celebrities that have the startup capital and know how to market to us so they can say, hey, I, we opened the salon. It's just for you. It's beautiful. But do you know how to do my hair? Did you hire anybody who knows how to do it? Looks pretty. Are, you, are you paying those black young people who do hair in your salon decently? You know, these are all questions that need to be asked. And so there is a real obligation, I believe, on the part of, you know, sort of the, the, the idea of noblesse oblige, right? There is an obligation on the part of the nobility or those that have high net um, net worth to to examine how they're contributing to that cycle. Absolutely. And again, us as consumers, it's already so hard figuring out what works for us. And then now we're like, we're being duped. We're being sold down river is always how I describe it. And that makes people very, (laughs) they want to hear that. But but people are like, you're effectively saying like, I got my bag and I don't care that some bus driver from Mississippi bought all that. I don't care that it doesn't work. I just want to. I'm gonna get. I got my paycheck. <laughs> and like, and that is just that is really ghetto. <laughs> you said it here first. It's it's deception at at its finest. Yes. And yes. It's not fair, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that. But capitalism, of course, created that issue of well, and like you said, even about the the reformulation of products. Right over the course of time, yeah. that and mm-hmm. I, I've I've for years called that quiet reformulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in it is so deeply tied into capitalism and the ways in which um, when it's identified that there is a black brand that is doing well in the space and performing well. It's just a matter of time before you see that brand get swooped up by a massive conglomerate and you will hear the owners of the the brand, oftentimes black ownership, um, tout the idea of remaining black owned until they get an opportunity for a massive payout, at which time they will say, trust me, nothing will change. Nothing will change. You will continue to see the formulas that you love from this company. But now, and to really hear the insidious part to me about it, is they will play on that idea and say, now that we're a part of conglomerate. The the blank family. The blank family of products. Mm -hmm. Now that we are a part of this family, it's actually really good for you as a consumer because now we're going to have access to their research and development their laboratories, their production systems, and we're going to be able to get these products to you in a better way, in more stores. And no, I've never once in my 40 years of life seen that happen. What happens is these companies purchase the intellectual property and the majority stake in these companies. And then they oftentimes bring in some kind of evil entity, you know, Bain and Company style VC. And they say, hey, we're going to retool everything. And we're going to keep this black image and these sort of black token influencers, etc. to continue to swoop up the goodwill of the black community around this 
product that did work at some point, but we're slowly going to start to degrade the quality of the ingredients in here. If we're, for example, using organic botanically sourced ingredients that we made in our mother's kitchen and sold on our Brooklyn porch, all of a sudden that hibiscus it ain't no hibiscus no more. It's a chemical that was developed in a lab in New Jersey that is supposed to smell like hibiscus. And you think that we just ain't gonna notice. Mm. And then you can gaslight us when we say, hey, is something different about the product? No, no. It, no. It, no. Why is no. my hand falling out? And I, I used to say, I am currently uh, doing a live from Turks and Caicos where I'm telling you that nothing is different nothing is, because, exactly. I sold my, because I sold my business and now I'm rich. And, like, and, and you poor people. Oh, not. And also, let's not forget that my product is probably going to be like 50 percent more expensive because. Correct. Oh, but because it's for R&D. So, so don't it's worry. For R&D. Pay for it. Your hair is going to fall out. But like it's it's OK. And so on this subject, I would love to share this TikTok video with you. Uh, Ooh, a TikTok. Yes. Be useful. Let's, let's walk up. <laughs> yes, let's go. Let's take it over to the talk. I hope that yeah. video works well. It's going to be about four minutes, but okay. I'm so I'm excited. excited for your thoughts and opinions. So give me one second. Uh, Ooh, here we go. Here. All righty. Advertising their black hair care aisle, how they've got their black female founder owned little tags on their companies about who owns each brand. Yeah, what if they were not all true? I mean, Target would never lie to their customers to sell shampoo, would they? They would never take advantage of people that were looking to promote equality to sell their products, would they? So I just analyzed 51 brands of hair products in that natural fancy shit aisle. And there's no way in hell they're all fitting into one video. So we're going to start with the black hair care aisle because there's some shiesty shit going on. I'm talking about this section where they got their black female founder tags out telling you who owns each company and also all of these products. And this shit got crazy. So this time I made a list for y'all. If we're counting, there's 15 products on this list and there are six imposters. You ready to do this? Mm -hmm. Disclaimer, it is almost 8 p.m. and I have been analyzing this shit for six hours. I'm super tired. I might have made some mistakes. If I did, please help me out. I am not a shampoo expert, as we have already established. We're just following the money here, baby. This Jessie's is still owned by co-founder Miko Branch. And unfortunately, her sister passed away, who she founded it with. Rest in peace to TT. Your sister's still doing good work. Camille Rose? Janelle Stevens, female founder owned. Miel, on the other hand, was bought by Procter and Gamble, but they're operating as an independent subsidiary, still run by CEO Monique Rodriguez. I don't know what that means, but I sure know that it means that this side right here is a little misleading. Target. All right. So how about the next gal, Carol's daughter? Huh. Meet our founder, Lisa Price. Interesting. Turns out that they were bought out by L'Oreal in 2014. Either I'm getting this wrong or this sign right here is awfully misleading target. As I am was founded by Dr. Ali Syed. Aunt Jackie's is a little confusing and maybe a little misleading because it's actually owned by this brand conglomerate named House of Chiatham. 
Not by them black ladies they were showing you. I don't know about House of Chatham, but it sure ain't some black lady. I'm trying to look up Josie Curls is like trying to figure out who blew up the North Street pipeline. You keep getting gaslit by all these weird answers that sound like they're what you're supposed to be hearing, but they just keep on saying nothing at all. What the fuck? Their website ain't got any information on their founders. No one's telling me anything about who founded this organization. Just some mystical South African women. So when in doubt, we're looking up that goddamn trademark. And you know who holds the trademark for Josie Curl? That's right. We're digging that deep. That's owned by the Cape Town Toiletry Company. We show up at the Cape Town Toiletry Company website, and what do we see? Ah, yes. Some conglomerate down in South Africa that makes exclusive brands that are all African. Marketing how danged African they is. Oh, and these African companies, they're proudly 50% Black-owned, they're sure to tell you. I'm so glad this company values transparency so that I could go and look up a goddamn trademark to figure out who owned it. I don't know who these South African women making this formula is, but something about this feels sketchy. Anyways, we'll speed up. Mahisha Dellinger, CEO and owner of Curls, Rizos Curls, or Rizos Curls, I don't know, is Julissa Prado, founder, CEO. Thank God it's natural. Sounds pretty tight to me. And owned by founder, Christia Donaldson. Kinky Curly is Shelly Davis. And Duke is Maya Smith. Sorry, it's just Duke. I'm not, you know, whatever. Now, I think I covered them all. Oh, wait, I didn't talk about EcoCo Inc. I don't even know if I took screenshots of that. I'm going to be honest, guys. I was stumped by EcoCo. I have no idea what that shit is. They're putting they're putting weed in your in your shampoo. And I think they're based out of Florida, but I got no idea what's going on there. I just left them out. So here's how we stand. I got you nice and color-coded on this one. A couple of notes. This is not financial or moisturizing advice. I am not an expert on shampoo, but you can screenshot that if you want. Now, let's be clear. This is just the money that owns these things. You do your own research about what they're putting in these products and about the ethics of the companies and about, you know, how you really feel about what you're using and what you're purchasing. It begs the question, what the fuck is Target doing with some of these signs up lying to their customers like that? Like, am I totally wrong with what I figured out there? Or, or is Target just that slimy? For real. Oh, and I know a lot of you are still waiting for me to tell you about Native and about Shea Moisture and all these companies. You know, I only did 15 in this video, and I did a total of 51 companies today. So there's a lot left for the next video. I got anyway, so. Mm -hmm. Oh, the 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 petty. The petty corner of me loves that so much. That that's that that yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as as he said, you know, we could do a hundred list, and we could just go through them. Um, yeah. Deceptive yeah. marketing. I will. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, and you know, there the the final question in that was, or is Target really that shady? And um, my per personal opinion is, yes, they they are, um, based on the reality that I have had a Target employee DM me and say, hey, we're looking at this product line to start carrying, or not to start carrying it. We are already carrying this product line. Is it any good? Huh. Shouldn't you be asking that during the initial kickoff meeting for the brand partnership? So y'all put it in the black section and now a, an employee on their personal time is just gonna shoot me a note and try and get me to tell them black approved, not black approved. 
um, I responded to that inquiry and I said, thank you for reaching out. I do consultation around these questions. Here is my email if you'd like to have a conversation around that with your parent company. Ghost, right? Of course. So, um, you know, there is no interest when it really gets nitty gritty, right? Companies will gladly and gleefully have um, black hairdressers on staff that will co-sign whatever they're doing and give mm -hmm. them that carte blanche. But they, in my experience, are not interested in having people um, on their payroll who are truly there to say like, hey, black people aren't going to use yeah. this. I'm going to say no. Right? Like, or redirect the conversation. They just want to say, right. we have a black person on our board. That's a yes yep. person. They approved it. So like, shush, because. Well, yeah. I, yeah, you're very right. And I have seen firsthand time and time again, how corporations truly do seem to feel like having one is enough. Mm -hmm. thing we have I've been told we have one black person on our board and she used the product and she liked it mm -hmm. and I said cool is she a hairdresser right no she's just a person that has a lot of money who invests in companies yeah and you thought that throwing her at me as another black person was gonna like somehow supersede the 10 years of professional experience that I had, mm -hmm. like she thinks it's good based on what, you know, I think of one large corporation. Yeah. That I had a conversation with at one point and I, they, uh, all of their products that were marketed towards us were incredibly oil and butter heavy. And I asked, how did you arrive at that type of formulation consistency consistently because it seems like the things that you sell are very um, conscientious about the the user and so I just how did from an R&D perspective how did we get here and I was told we have a black chemist in one of our offices and she likes it global multinational co corporation right and having one black chemist was enough for them to put something on shelves even though, like, I don't know her. Does she know how to do her hair? What what kind of hair does she have? Like, what is it looking like? What's it looking like? Is she, is her hair thirsty? Because if so, I don't want her being the leading guy. Yeah. You know, um, it's so it's so frustrating how frequently, again, wow. you see that when you get into these spaces, whether it be hopping on the Instagram live of a company yeah. and saying oh, you developed a new thing. This is so cool. Did you test it with curl experts? And they say, we we internally passed it around the team and Janice in accounting really loved it. She's, like, she's yeah. half black. You know, like that's just not sufficient. And yes, it would require compensating stylists yeah. for their work. God forbid, the people who actually- And I, you know, I have presented that idea to companies and been met with, pretty extensive um, questioning around, well, why would we be paying stylists to try out our products? Mm -hmm. That's not how this industry works, Kia. You send people products, they try them out for free, mm -hmm. and then you get, and I'm like, you get their intellectual property? Like, what What do you get? What, what's the, yeah. Right? Because there's no value to me in being sent a promo box of stuff I can't use. That just means that's things that I have to go take to the donation center. So you're actually not 
helping me in any way. You're making my life harder. You're making more work for me. And so, um, you know, it's bizarre how as you navigate the social media space, Mm. as you reach different tiers of engagement, Mm. you start to be sent Mm -hmm. um, different packages of things Uh, or approached by different groups that clearly it's just, I hit X number and then that's when these flood in. And it's always, and I love your work or we love your work. We were wondering if you wanted, if we could send you some of our things. For you to talk about it for free. For you to talk about it for free. And so often the things that they're trying to send me are things that I very clearly would not use if you spent more than, I don't know, two minutes looking at my feed. They just looked at the follower account and they were like, yeah, we can get her on the PR list. Let's get her. Correct. And, you know, it's a lot like online dating. Where Mm -hmm. like, you know, there are people who will send out the same message to a hundred people and it's a crappy message, but you're going to get one bite maybe. And all you need is that one bite. Yeah. Mm. And so they're going to, they're going to send that form letter out to every single texture specialist, curl specialist, tight coil specialist. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is that we all know each other, right? So we can corroborate amongst ourselves and be like, hey, baby girl, did you get that same email uh, from them? Yeah. Where they was trying to ask you to do the thing because I said I wouldn't do the thing. Oh, but she did cool. it. Mm. Oh. Now, but we see who would do it. Yeah, them. exactly. And so you can kind of start to go down the roster and be like, oh, well, they approached one, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. six, and seven and until they got to whoever would take the gig. Yeah. But the client doesn't that the consumer doesn't see that the consumer just sees natural hair expert cosine we found our unicorn they know everything right and it's right and and that can be frustrating too when you're pitched as a subject matter expert you know you have your area of expertise but it's like they just act like you know everything and you can solve it all that's (laughs) that's how I feel with like DEI of like I know a semblance of like an area of DEI but obviously not all-encompassing but it's like oh this is the the person that can take us to glory because like you're black you look you look the part you sound the part yes just go be great and it's like well how do you set me up for success like you know how do I sustain myself again if I'm reviewing products that I'm not being paid by but that's taking you know that's UGC content so I'm having to curate it and post it like yes and produce exactly that's time out of my day it's a lot of front loading of time. I feel like I've been lucky to um, be able to identify colleagues and mentors that mm-hmm. are not necessarily in my space mm-hmm. um, who have really good learnings around how to advocate mm. for yourself in um, in a way that feels more aligned with what feels fair for you. Um, the reality is that it's going to mean you don't, you don't get a lot of gigs. Okay. But it's like, cool. Not every gig is for me, but But not every gig is for me. And, um, you know, there are situations that I've even found myself in over the years where I go like, oh, I turned down X that would have been so much work. And I felt like, oh, this is a bad idea at the time. Um, because I had never seen that kind of a figure or amount proposed to me as compensation um and then in retrospect I go oh man if I had taken that I wouldn't have been able to take this other gig that actually made me three times as much Mm. without the hassle 
that's that's that imposter syndrome coming in because it's like, well, should I take what they want to give me, even though I know it's below what I usually, you know, and I'll take whatever crumb I can get in order to get, you know, where I am. And that's something that we as small business owners yeah. often run into of like, we'll just take whatever because whatever we should just be happy to be here. And that's yeah, yes, it's 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 so dangerous. And I think also coupled with the fact that we don't a lot of times have like familial institutionalized knowledge around that so I can't go ask my dad who owns a business <laughs> how do I advocate for myself how do I make a contract you know like I can't say hey mom can you can you you know set me up with your accountant <laughs> I wish that, <laughs> and, and that's not and that's what they talk they don't tell you about that part of like they go forth be merry go get your soul prop you know, get your studio and work your way up from the bottom. But it's like, there are all these other things that I need in order to set me up that that level of community, I just don't necessarily have. And then when you want to go and talk to people on, you know, as a small business person, it's like, oh, buy my course for, you know, $1,500 of like very mm -hmm. basic stuff. But it's like, I just need help through this like yes. one thing. Again, well, I, and, and I, I definitely spent the money sometimes too, right? Like early mm -hmm. on, I'm sure you did as mm -hmm. well, where you 100%. go like, oh, bruh. Like, you you know, you, you yeah. pay the money because it's mm -hmm. framed as something that will be yes. helpful. And then you get inside of that room or you get yeah. inside of the, the, you get access to the course and you go like, oh, hold up. <laughs> wait, I could have done this. And wait, hold, what? What? People are really out here saying yeah you may have an ebook but is, is that information that is not being presented somewhere else like, you know like or did you just package up existing information and throw it in a canva template? You, you went on canva pro and then said upload and said yeah. put the link in yeah. the box and that's that's and the listen i like people i think they, they laugh at me they say like I, are you paid by canva because i love canva so much uh -huh. um but what i love about it is that it's customizable that part that part right? make it your own put your make it your own and <laughs> you know it's that idea of make it your own yeah. that i think is hard for us yeah to grasp in many um respects because we have not been given the space to make things our own absolutely not again as you had right. said you had been you had been used to working with the large companies and kind of being yes. the face with this company but yes. you know now you have found your wings to establish your own safe space put down the the pillars that you need in order to create and sustain that and it, it can be scary. I'm trying. I'm trying. You're doing. You're doing. And and so as we wrap this up, um, I wanted to ask if there's anybody else's work that you'd like to highlight, um, and how we can continue to support your work, um, in San Jose. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. Um, you know, I'm really inspired by, like I said, um my colleagues and people that I've gotten the opportunity to work with. Of course, there are people where I'm like, oh, look at that cool person's work. It's yeah. so beautiful. But I also like, it sounds terrible, but I, I go like, I don't know if I want to put nobody on a pedestal that I ain't worked with yet. You know? <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> so when I think about people that are really um, inspiring me on to, to do really cool stuff, I think about, you know, like my friend, um, Camille Janae, who is in 
Sacramento, who has, um, you know, a funny, funnily enough, actually a loctician and natural hair expert, but also an exemplary poet and artist. Um, I think about uh, Selena McManus, who owns a salon, who's also a photographer and is um, a, uh, an activist in her community and is bringing together people, um, you know, to, to help them learn about business best practices that might not have gotten the chance to do this before. Um, I think about my colleague, Andre LaRoe, um, who is a photographer, right? Um, and who is making sure that we are represented in digital media in a way that feels authentic and is helping large companies to have more awareness around that, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm really lucky. Um, you know, Arabella Espinoza is another person, another photographer that I'm really inspired by. But yeah, no, I, I just feel very lucky to be surrounded by um, creatives, right? And to hopefully not seem creepy when I try and try and be their friends. Where I'm like, oh, hey, no. hey creative. I you want to be friends? Exactly. You want to be friends? It's okay. That's, that's how we day. met, though. Like that's exactly. that's how that's kind of how I feel like um, my best working relationships oftentimes 100%. end up starting off that way, where it's like, True. oh, how did we even meet? Did on we the playground that one time. I, I love to see you on the playground, and I was like, you want to play? And it's like, yes. And yes. So, here we and are it's, today. It's just saying, like, yo, I recognize that there's something about that person's energy that resonates with me. And so that that tells me a lot, you know, and that spills over into my clientele as well, because the reality is not everybody's going to be for you, right? There are people that visit and I can offer them a service, but energetically, we're not on the same page. And so that's, you know, one of the reasons why I think that there's, um, I'm, there, there's such an open space, right? Mm -hmm. The more the merrier. I'm not threatened by more people learning this skill set. More people need to know this skill set. It's essential. <laughs> right. And so some people have asked me over the years, like, why would you be so dead set on teaching people this stuff? Why wouldn't you just keep this to yourself and make sure that your clients are reliant on you and that there's no other place that they can go for these services? And um, that's just not why I'm in it. No, we're not here to gatekeep. Girl nah. boss, gatekeep, gaslight. We don't do that. Nope. Ain't got no time. Ain't got no time. So I, I'm really grateful to have the opportunity, you know, to to connect with you, to connect with others that are really trying to ask these questions um, in an informed and thoughtful and kind way. Um, but also, like, not taking no shenanigans. Oh, never. Not in this economy. For, you know, like, right, not in this economy, where it's like, I can be lovely and eloquent, but also still press you on important yeah. questions that need to be answered. Yeah. And so I'm really, really grateful for this time to hang out with you. And um, and I love the questions that you've asked. So it, it really is right. my pleasure Absolutely. to be able to hang out with you. Yes. And so for the people listening, um, do you mind spelling out your at and also um, spelling out your website so folks can follow, potentially, you know, inquire and, you know, support. Yeah. 
Awesome. So my website is thecurlconsultant.com. If you're on Instagram, you're looking up at Kia the Curl Consultant. Um, and yeah, I'm based in San Jose, California in Japantown, but I also do, um, like I said, on set work uh, for film and TV. And I work um, in folks' homes virtually as well. So that's a really fun thing that I get to do to, um, you know, connect with people that don't necessarily live close. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to um, really gain a lot of great education online so that when we mm -hmm. do go in and meet with a professional in person, mm -hmm. we're coming at it from a more informed place. And that means that you will be able to to really take more advantage of that. So, yeah, that's that, that's that's where you find me. You yeah. find me in these in these streets in the internet streets and hopefully in next the internet streets. yes i hope to see you on tiktok one day you know also hey, I, believe it or not i am on the tiktok i'm on it okay i just don't i just don't use it yeah you because... just you're, you're, you're more passive of like all right i'm watching the the, the shenanigans well, see that's the thing i don't even really i i, I watch my fiance watch the shenanigans <laughs> but um as an app uh, it's one of those that really rewards you for engagement. I mean, mm -hmm. all of them do, but TikTok is just really profound in that way. And I have, especially in the past six months, really taken some time to kind of divest myself from those constant engagement portions of social media where like, I understand that social media is inherent to the work that I'm doing, but I also don't need to be on it as much. So I'm exploring how to I navigate hear. that in a healthy way. And so TikTok, ooh, I'll just be losing time. I hear you because I'll look up. Yeah. It'll be light in my room and then I'll look yeah. up and then it's like, wait, it's time for dinner. And that's like not healthy because. Why is my stomach rumbling? Why exactly. am I so thirsty? Right, but right? you know what's bad is I will close the TikTok app and then go over to the DoorDash app and then keep yeah. scrolling while my food is on the way. So anyway, case of the millennial, Correct. you know, however, right. Take it, from an el take it from an elder millennial. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. So this is a <laughs> conversation. As said, folks, please support Kia's work. She's an amazing Thank you, individual. Thank you. You'll Thank see you. her work either on Instagram. You can also see it on the silver screen because Kia's hands got reach, y'all. Like, Ooh, you can also hard. find me on iTunes and Spotify. Yeah, so, she, she, you it, know. She sings. Uh -huh. Kia, Kia uh -huh. has a voice, too. So we'll keep hiking it. <laughs> individual you know baddie stallion fellow stallion uh, both tall so we both you know our pants be too short sometimes but that's okay i appreciate you uh, yes we got them high water pants so yes, keeps us uplifted definitely so as always thank you for tuning into the story to our podcast i hope to see y'all soon with your curls popping and all right we'll talk to you soon much love Bye,